Well, Matt, what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is the first episode of the historical document, the Closet <laughs> Trekkie podcast. Episode one, even though technically I think we did two like a decade ago. Was it even known as a podcast then? Yeah. It was, uh, they were all the what rage. What did we do? We, it was kind of more like a radio show and we like played songs and then talked oh, yeah. about them. Where, and did, where was that posted? It was on, on our, on, on our website Oh yeah, for a while. And, um, I don't have any of those anymore. I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one, this one will be the official document. This is yes. Uh, <laughs> I haven't looked into, I haven't looked into how to get a podcast notarized yet. I don't know if it's possible, but I'm going to try. We're going to try real hard. (laughs) (laughs) A poor man's copyright is send it to yourself in the mail and don't open it. (laughs) Stands up in a court of law. (laughs) Closet Trekkie podcast episode zero slash episode one. Zero zero one. In line with uh, the label num- uh, release numbers. Yeah, we're giving ourselves a wide berth here in case we, this thing goes on for a while. <laughs> so episode 001. Um, yeah. This one we're going to call working at an indie record store. But really, if we need to, I think, talk about you know how we, the genesis of the label. But... The most recent iteration of Closet Trekkie is a website. It's a fully functioning website, updated maybe every two years. And right take. now it's, <laughs> it serves as a music blog slash short story <laughs> prose outlet yeah. slash digital EP possible releases. All true. So that's been its recent form in the last four or five years. Before that, it was dead. For a, for a couple of years. A couple of years. There's there's always been a website. There was a, always been a website. I I remember the one that used to have the spinning record on the top, which was probably my favorite website ever. There you was a spinning it. record on the top? Yeah. And at the very top left, there was like this like spinning old school looking record. And it was it would consistently spin. It's like it spin? It actually spun? Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, so, so after the kind of, it was kind of dead before that it was a buddy head ripoff music site for about six months. Yeah. Until we, until we realized that that wasn't who we wanted to be. (laughs) Well, at the, at the time we had actual active artists on the label. And what we, what we also realized was if people hated the website, they may hate hate the bands that were so it's a problem it is a problem yeah it's not so it's not a not good marketing <laughs> yeah we didn't realize it's after the fact the website you know unique users did see it see see its peak though at that time and basically we were trying to be provocative and post articles about what we hated or what we thought was lame in the music scene at the time but before that it was a fully functioning independent record label with mm-hmm. multiple artists on the roster who toured and we would press hard copies of releases, mostly vinyl, some CDs. Yep. Um, book tours, book tours, at South by. Yeah. 
yeah. um, CMJ, um, all that stuff. And that was 2004 to 2012, probably, or 11. In some way, shape, or form, it was in that. It was the peak. Yeah, seven or eight years of that. Um, and then what we're talking about today is how did that even happen? And I think for that, how did the record label start? Like, how do you mm -hmm. start a rec indie record label? What does that look like? Does that even happen these days? I don't even know if that even exists anymore. Yeah, but to, so to tell the story, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to the beginning. So, so, so Paul and I are, grew up. Well, what, when did you move to Danbury, Connecticut? 1998. Okay, so you were 14. Yeah. Wow. Impressed. That's and good math. <laughs> and you were well, I don't know if you were 14 or 15. I couldn't, I forget your exact. I, I'm pretty but. sure I was 14. Yeah. I think you were 13. I was 13. Lived in Danbury, uh, Connecticut. So it's right in the border of New York. And um, me and Paul met and became friends. And as one does at 16, you start to look for a job. Mm -hmm. And there was one giant mall in Danbury and basically served all of Western Connecticut. This one, this one mall, everyone West of Hartford came to this mall. Right. And it was in our town. So your first job was where yep. I forget. I worked at Macy's. I worked in the kids department. I would hang, in the mall. Yeah. I would hang like, I would just uh, restore order to chaos after like a Memorial day weekend. And that yeah. was at the cash register staring down a line of annoyed, stressed out, tired people, like <laughs> a, a line out the door waiting to buy, you know, like sweaters for their kids, sweaters, uh, Pokemon t-shirts, very small suits, um, <laughs> that cost as much as an adult suit. <laughs> Wait, what? How did, so how did you, so Macy's is one of those big stores that was at the end of the mall, obviously an anchor tenant. So was that the kind of thing where you parked your car and you walked into Macy's and you were like, well, may as well apply here. It's the first place I walked into. No. So, um, my mom worked there first oh, yeah, and she knew right. manager and, um, I can get you in. Yeah. <laughs> We can make this happen right now. <laughs> um, so it's kind of the story of my life at that time is like whatever was the easiest. Um, I guess I didn't want to have to stress out too much. So I was like, yeah, that's, you know, I'm a shoe in. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Do you remember what your starting wage was hourly? Oh man. I think it was like six forty nine an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that's I think six fifty was the minimum wage at the time. So I so. made a penny, a penny under. <laughs> It was pretty uh, much, did, yeah. Did you I was excited to get like a $75 paycheck. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, and I drove, uh, yeah, I drove my grandpa's old Nissan Sentra 1991 white missing front left hubcap. <laughs> um, so you can spot it out of a, in a crowd. Yeah. It really stood out. That was why I liked it. Uh, sir, that's actually my Sentra. <laughs> so yeah, I did. We did get in the wrong one one time. <laughs> uh, it's a central so thing. So yes. So we had friends that <laughs> my sister worked at the Banana Republic in there. We had a friend that worked at J Crew. A buddy that worked at the Saturday Matinee, which was the old VHS DVD store. 
I mean, everyone just worked in the mall. Mm-hmm. And same thing for me. I turned 16. Uh, I got a job at The Gap. Uh, first job. You know, you just show up and you say, can I apply? It's just a rotating cast of people that quit probably three at a time every day. So there's, there's always a job <laughs> opening to fold clothes. And get a job. It's probably... Yeah, June or July, because I turned 16 in May or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I work. I got $7 an hour. I don't want to make you feel bad. Seven. You always made more than me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they like what they saw. Yeah. And it was the first time. It was kind of the first time in your life that you have to know your social security number. Because it's like you would, uh-huh. you would log in, you know, on the timesheet. So, and I was like, what's my social security number? I don't know what it is. I used to have to write it in my wallet and like carry it with me because I didn't know what it was right I think after six months I remembered it but so I worked there and this is all at the same time as we're like really I think trying to figure out like what type of music we like so you know we're 15 16 you know before that we were probably exclusively into Weezer <laughs> and yeah. this is Weezer. pretty green album <laughs> pre-green album weezer and then like all the all the alt rock or whatever was on radio 104 yeah at the radio time 104 104.1 was the mm-hmm. i think it was out of new haven or something and it served danbury the modern rock station alternative yep they always had like the wacky morning guys it was d snyder from twisted sister and then that's some right i named like you know mud chop or, <laughs> or sponge <laughs> i don't really know hammock <laughs> yeah, something <exactly>. yeah <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you'd look for something, you know, there that spoke to you because it was still the era of 56 K modem, nothing streaming. If you wanted to listen to a clip, maybe on CD now or CD baby or Amazon, it was mm-hmm. 30 second clips of songs. So how did you find, you know, how did you find new bands? I mean, the very first CD I remember buying from Amazon was Enema of the States. So that was what? 99 so from Amazon. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I bought it for me. I asked, you know, if I could use my dad's credit card and I said, I'll, and I, I paid him the $20 in cash. I just bought $20? it. $20? You know, I just off. bought it. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, so it wasn't like Columbia house or BMG music club or something like that. Well, I did that. And you court, and so I had, you know, the starter pack, you know, seal. <laughs> That's the Batman for boys to men. Yeah, whatever was just handed to you in Columbia House, yeah. because you had no choice to take but to take it. But I never really liked in that stuff. Like, I mean, I remember the Batman Forever soundtrack. It had an Offspring right. song, and uh, that was cool because it was fast. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, "What? Well, I wonder what this stuff is." I didn't, didn't really know what it was. I I didn't have an older brother or anyone to teach me about music. Um, I had a cousin in Houston. But it's like, what were you going to do? Like, send you couldn't text back then. So I, I really had no one to tell me what was going on. So we, me and you were trying to figure it out together. So we definitely, Blink-182 is probably the first time you were like, what is this? Like, that is, seems like it's off the run. It seems like it's a little bit faster than anything else. But of course, it's popular. Start looking through the liner notes. Start looking at the thank yous. And, oh, who's unwritten law and tansol crashers and no effects and this kind of stuff so then you start looking finding cds that way i guess or Mm -hmm. records that way and at the time i would yeah you go to the wall 
which was the big music store in the mall. And it was $20 for a CD. And you'd look at it and you basically had to pick one CD a month that you could afford. So you better get it right. And I remember though, I think you're still there. Probably just, yeah. <laughs> Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, it says your your network bandwidth is low, unless it's mine. Hello. Oh, now you're now see now you're getting choppy, but your audio is fine. Is my audio fine? I'm still. Oh, oh, is it me now? My oh, we yeah, should turn I'll, off yeah. our video maybe. Let's see. Um. Okay. So we went to the wall. That's like instantly better. Okay, go for it. <laughs> and uh, I think you and I both realized early on also that you could buy the Punkorama or Fat Music for Fat People discs and you get like 20 songs for three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So you would get these drive-through samplers or epitaph samplers or... Um, yeah, Punkorama. Fabric. Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, from the Blink ones, we started... I guess finding out these other names and you look at the back of a Punkorama CD and you're like, Hey, there's no effects. There's Pennywise or something. I, I guess I better buy this. And then inevitably there's like only two or three songs you like on those things. <laughs> and then you, you realize there's gotta be a better way because some of these bands you couldn't find at the wall or you couldn't find at <sighs> circuit city or something wherever you were buying CDs. You're like, where do mm-hmm. I get these CDs? And I don't know how we stumbled across Volt. I don't remember the first time I went in there. Do you? The first time? I don't. The very first time. I don't think I remember the very first. Well, I do. mm, I remember before. I think it was before we worked there. Didn't did we pre-order the green album? Weezer's the green album. there. (laughs) Yeah, that might. Was that the first time? No, that would have been March or April of 2001. Early on. Yeah. I, you know, maybe I do remember going to Funko Land, which was a video game store next door to it, and looking through to the other, to Vault, which was next door, and seeing all these crazy posters on the wall and these things hanging. And I was like, I'm afraid to go in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like 15. I'm like, I don't want to get made fun of. I don't know what that is. I don't want my parents to be mad. Yeah, I don't want my parents to be like, what is that store? <laughs> yeah. It smells like, you know. Smells like a third rate hot topic or something. Third rate. <laughs> and uh, like so your parents knew what that smelled like. Well, hot topic you could smell like from a couple blocks away. It seemed like in the mall back in the day. Oh, like the incense and stuff. Yeah. And so I think probably the first time I saw it was through Funko Land when we were looking for video games and stuff. Mm-hmm. But well, I think what happened was so I, I'm working at Gap and I have a car, Volvo, uh, hand me down, seven forty. 80, I think it was an 89 and I was probably just driving home and I saw this like sign that said Volt Records and I was looking for, I was looking for Kid Dynamite. I think I remember this specifically because what happened was I was on an Amazon rabbit hole. So basically I had gone from like a Blink-182 uh, song to uh, you know, then the next artist that it takes you to. And if you like that artist, you might like this artist. And if you like that artist, you might like this artist, et cetera, et cetera. And somehow I got to Kid Dynamite. 
and a shorter, faster ladder came out in 2000. So it was, they had already broken up. And I put on the first track, which is Pits and Poison Apples. It's 30 seconds long. And I couldn't believe <laughs> what, I, what I heard, how it was fast and aggressive. But then in the middle of it, out of nowhere, it's catchier than any Blink-182 <laughs> right. song. And I was like, what in the world is this? I have to get this, I have to get this CD. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, maybe this place will have it. And I walked in and they had it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And the guy at the counter was like, hey, if you sign up for a club, all we need is your phone number. Mm -hmm. If you buy 10 CDs or 11 CDs, you get the 12th one free. I was like, this is great. This is awesome. So sign me up. So what basically happened at that point was, after every shift at Gap, I would just drive over there and buy something. And I think I remember also getting, I think Bane, Give Blood, the, that Saves the Day, Stay What You Are album came out around that time. Um, three, like, and basically, I, I, what basically was happening, I didn't realize it was... <laughs> The, the 12, 11 CDs that you were buying was basically like a tracking cool list, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> to some to some nameless, you know, person at Volt that was, you know, seeing what you were buying and if it was up to their standard. Yeah, and, man, in, man in a cloak in a dark corner. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And there was enough, I guess, there that... This, this, is, this was a true story. I don't know, I don't know how this happened, but basically... It's November now, and I, I work Black Friday at Gap, so it's like the busiest shopping day of the year. Mm -hmm. I get in there like at 6 in the morning and leave like at midnight, and I'm just working. I was working the cash register at the time, and I just like hated it, hated it, hated it. And um, the next day, like after that next shift, the day after Black Friday, I get up earlier, and I go to Volt, and I go up to the counter, and Gene, who was the owner, says, hey, would you want to work here? Just um, out of nowhere. <laughs> So you didn't ask? Yeah, I, no, I didn't. I didn't ask. I, I oh. was buying some. I'm trying to think what I might have been buying. I might have been buying. I don't know, like Hope Conspiracy, Cold Blue, or something at the time. And I put it on there. I think it was going to be my free one actually. And so like I was up there for longer than normal. So he was finding my name and number and what I was going right. to get towards redeeming. Yeah. And he says, do you want to work here? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, do you want to work here? He's like, we need someone, you know, during the holidays rush that's about to start, but also then another of our workers is going back to college. So there's going to need to be someone that can work longer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, great. Yeah. He's like, I can only pay you six fifty. So I was like, well, it's a pay cut. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, I literally like, I didn't, you know, I didn't give it two weeks notice or anything. Um, you did oh. you're just like, <laughs> I'm I, done. I, I, so basically I can never work at gap again right? <laughs> or their affiliates, old Navy and, and uh, banana Republic. Oh, you burned a bridge, but, man. <laughs> going to well, regret that. Lesson learned. <laughs> uh, so one man quit and within like a day I was working at Volt and like I told my parents, you know, which you got, I guess you have to get approval for. And I was like, Hey, I got a job at a record store. And, and I told them like, all my, all my money is going towards CDs anyway. So I may as well get a work at a place where I get a discount. 
And all my dad was like, what did they pay you? I'm like, less than what I was making before. He's like, nice job. <laughs> Great job. Chip <laughs> off the old block. Yeah, way to go. <laughs> um, but I took it. And um, that was basically right before like the Christmas or holiday season of 2001. Um, yeah. And at the time, Emily worked there. So there's another colleague of ours, colleague, worker, <laughs> mm-hmm. fellow, Fox. fellow employee, fellow employee. And she was into basically the same stuff we were into. Um, her favorite band was Thursday at the time because full collapse had just come out. Mm-hmm. And then there was, I forget his name, who was really into, um, indie rap, which I had no idea even existed. I forget his name, but he basically educated us on like, Def Jux and every like atmosphere when he was just starting out and all these things that I had no idea existed. And at first was dismissive of, but then you kind of open your eyes. You're like, there's all these other worlds that I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And if I just, dis- you know, I dismiss them, then I'm being closed minded and it's, I'm probably shutting myself off as something really cool. Yeah. So, t- so that's how I got there. But I want to hear how you, what you remember between that point to like when you, I forget when you started working at it. Yeah. You're going to have to fill in a lot of blanks for me, I think. (laughs) Um, but I, you know, basically it's a similar story. I moved from Northern Connecticut with my family to Danbury because my dad got a job in Norwalk. So it was, you know, it was going to save him like a two, two hour commute or something. So we moved to Danbury. And, um, and I remember like meeting you for the first time and like, we had like these like similar sort of alternative, like, you know, like, uh, like just alternative music was just kind of this, like, to me, idea, (laughs) what? Like a vague idea that we both like. Yeah. Like, it's just like, yeah, we have the sense because before, you know, the internet was hard back then, like. Um, like, like search engines were just kind of like <laughs> still terrible. And, um, most things on the internet were still kind of word of mouth, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's like, a lot where of, you was, go to find stuff. I, you, we didn't know. We didn't yeah. Know. We didn't, we didn't know, like, we didn't know that there was like, a, like that subcultures were a thing or, you know, you're just, you're influenced by your peers or your older siblings and my sister and her friends, my sister's like 14 years older than me. Um, you know, she, she in the, in the late eighties and nineties, like was like a, a big new wave and alternative rock fan, indie rock fan. And so it was really through her and, and her friends that like I found out about Weezer and and to me Weezer was just like this, you know, like oh, it's just like it's like loud and it's kind of hard but also super catchy and it's not like my parents um you know like it's not you like could the play it yeah them. yeah exactly yeah and it's it's it was it was benign enough where no one would raise any eyes and or, or you no know, raising the eyebrows and and um like the lyrics were just compelling in this and the you know at the, at the time i was probably too young to really appreciate like 
songwriting mm-hmm. and production and, and all this stuff. It just, you know, and so, so I was really into Weezer and like U2 and, um, at one point like Beastie Boys, um, I remember that's the first time that we talked, I think. Yeah. It was 98 and Hello Nasty had just came yep. out. Yep. And uh, I was, yeah, obsessed with that, that yeah. album. Yeah. So I went through the usual like BMG, Columbia House, and just like got, you know, whatever whatever I could could think of that was kind of like that, like like Weezer. Because the first, the first CD I ever bought, I think it was like 96, was, was Weezer. It was Weezer's The Blue mm-hmm. Album. Before that, the first tape that I bought was Pocket Full of Kryptonite um, by, uh, uh, <laughs> why can I even think? Oh, Spin Doctors. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, which was like alternative, you know, um, pop, basically. And what it all boils down to at the end of the day is it, like you really just like catchy pop music. Um, but you have right. to, just, yeah. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to. It's this, uh, admit it. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of the same. It's really the same old story, like over and over again, just like whatever, whatever is of niche interest, you know, eventually pops out into the the mainstream or semi mainstream. And, but anyway, it was, that was kind of my world. My, my, My number one interest was, was music. And when I moved to Danbury, there was a lot, more access to the, the same record stores that you're you're talking to. I remember, like, I I went to I, I know I, I knew I was interested in working at the at the wall, and I went and I actually applied there. And our friend Dennis was working there at the time, and so he knew the manager. Oh, I didn't know you worked there. I, yeah. I guess I knew that. I just totally blocked it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I knew I like I was interested in 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 working at a music store and and had this guy that we knew that. Um, had he it, couldn't get you in like mom got you in at Macy's though. No, <laughs> like, <I laughs> he's just not it. like couldn't that. You know, it wasn't like a blood relation thing, right? You know, at Macy's, you know, blood is thicker than water. That's their company motto. <laughs> 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 I was really surprised that they're having such financial issues now. Anyway, um, they, uh, so they, the manager led <laughs> me just in. giving jobs out to anyone <laughs> back right. in the day. No wonder they're in trouble. <laughs> um, so he, you know, I, I fill out an application manager calls me back, brings me in to the back room and they have one of those like uh, phone personality tests. Right. So you pick up the phone and, and there's like, uh, this pre-recorded voice that asks you questions. Like, have you ever talked behind your manager's back? Press <laughs> one for yes, two for no. Have you ever stolen anything for your employer? Press one for one for yes, two for no. And really like, I think that the goal of the test is really just to find out how like socially adept you are because, but, but also like me being just like this sort of innocent, happy go lucky, like really just always wanting to tell the truth, sort of just like, (laughs) sure I've stolen. Yeah. It's just like, but I like, I never no. And like the thing was, is like, I was just like extremely honest. So like, yeah, I've talked bad about my manager behind their back. Like stuff like that. So, so I go through this test. I'm totally sweating the whole way. Um, so I hang up the phone. The manager says, okay, great. So he calls, he dials (laughs) the the number to find out the results. 
And he's like <laughs> listening and he like nods his head. He hangs up the phone. He looks at me and says, well, you failed. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you and your children can, can never work. Can never work right. Here. Right. In fact, I'm calling security right now. <laughs> You're clearly You're insane. Gone. Get him yeah. out of here. Um, and I was kind of bummed about that because I, yeah, Macy's the same deal. You're folding clothes and it's even worse than the gap because it's, you know, obviously an older store and not cool and smells bad. And it's, you know, it's a, yeah, exactly. A universe of just like plastic hangers and, um, aging parents and kids that keep getting younger uh, louder and louder and, and eventually like it will crush your soul until you're like the, like the random, like 70 year old guy that you work with there who's worked there for 20 years. Um, and you, and eventually you start having sort of these sort of like, uh, morbid daydreams about turning into that person and just like giving up and saying, well, I could just work here for the rest of my life and it wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> um yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah. well i think it's either they stay there or they end back up there yeah later and they make the round trip so either you were going to stay there forever or you would just end up back there after you cycle through other jobs anyway it's like right. well macy's will always take me right 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 so um yeah so so it was i think that was 2001 and around that time I was just starting college and, um, I was a high enough of a performer in my communications media arts, which was basically like, uh, the major that was closest to film studies at, uh, Western Connecticut state university. We used to call it Westcon, um, acronym. Still call it yeah. Westcon. Do they really? Yeah uh, acronym WCSU. Um, and so the shout, media, shout out. That's right. yeah. <laughs> um, so they had, it was the closest thing they had. So it included like video production and radio production. So I got a job at the, um, uh, I can't remember when this was happening now. I, I can't remember if I worked at volt first. Um, I think so. I, th- I didn't think you Did got I? the the, uh, the radio job till after I had moved. Oh, you might be right. I okay. Thought. Yeah. So anyway, so um, so it was around that time that you got the job there, and of course, I started. This is my memory. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I started coming in there like every chance I got because also all of my you money. You just hang out. Yeah, I would just go there and <laughs> hang, out. hang out. Um, and Gene, you know, he was like, say what you will about you know, our old boss is, he was pre- pretty cool, laid back. Um, and shout out Gene, Gene, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be listening. So I'm sure. Yeah. He's going to be I first in line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think like the, the first thing that I did, and I don't know that I actually did it for money was, um, it would, I'm pretty sure it was before, I actually worked there as an employee, but, um, like, I think Gene had mentioned to you that we, uh, that he needed a website, like a new website. Mm. And, um, I had been building websites because, um, like basically it was around that time that 
um, was it around that time? Was that when we started closet? No, I, I, I had already been experimenting with websites and yeah. like really interested in just like making them and like kind of like sort of like my first foray into like digital design. And of course, like digital design at that time was just like, if you can put a box on a screen and change <laughs> the colors, like that's cutting edge, man. Um, and I figured out how to make, how to make animated GIFs. And yes, I do pronounce it with a hard G, <laughs> um, always have <laughs> because don't, yeah, don't I'm leave anything in the comments. We don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. No, don't <laughs> at me. It's a, it, it's never been, you know, I'm a student of the English language. And as far as I could, I could tell, like if like, we don't really have soft G's when, when you start, unless you're, unless you're pronouncing unless your, your name, Gene. unless your name is Gene or Jeff with a G. <laughs> It's not the dream. to Gene as, I guess, Gene now. To... Gene. It's not, it's not called the Dream album. It's called the Green album. We'll get back to the Green album. <laughs> we'll get back to that. That's a whole three, that's a three part episode. Yeah, so we have a whole series planned on that. So mini series. It's a separate podcast, actually. <laughs> it's similar to Serial. Anyway, um, <laughs> So I think that was kind of the first thing I did. I was, and, and, and that's where my memory gets hazy. I don't remember. I remember, yeah. I remember going in to Volt one time and talking to Jay. I think his name was Jay, who was like a super Weezer pop, power pop, like indie rock guy. You remember Jay? I don't remember him. Yeah. Well, well, no, there, there was Jay or was James or something. Right. So I forget, but right around the time I joined, there was the quintessential emo kid. He lived in um, Newtown, mm-hmm. this is town over. And he actually had the star tattoos on his wrists, like the real deal, as you did back then. And I think he was wearing a hot rod circuit shirt the first day I started. And I, he actually, quote unquote, trained me. <clears throat> Shout out Hot Rod Circuit because they mm-hmm. were formerly from Danbury and Newtown area. And mm-hmm. um, he, I was basically taking his job, but he, he didn't know it because basically Gene's like, I need to, I need to fire this kid because he doesn't show up and he's terrible and doesn't look at people in the eyes and messes up on the <laughs> transactions all the time. And so he, I started day one and he trained me. And then apparently like the next day, Gene told him he was fired, but he didn't understand like what it was actually happening. And so he said, like, does that mean I need to come in the next day? And he's like, no, effective, effective immediately. That means you're fired. It means you don't have a job here anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and he was a, just a nice guy. But was Jay who went, is Jay the guy who ended up doing a lot of art stuff also? Yeah, uh, he did. Jay some Hinkle. Of... Or he, yeah, yeah, like yeah, you got it. But when did he, st- I don't remember when he started, to be honest. Well, he was um, before he us did... and he... Uh, okay. I think he left right around the time we started for college. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was, so basically they needed two people. They needed my, the replacement for James, I think, who lived in Newtown, hot rat circuit. Mm-hmm. And then Jay, who was leaving, um, yep. anyway, to go back to college. So I started and I worked through that ho- holiday season and I think it was maybe four or six months after I started. So, you know, mm-hmm. in the spring of 2002, Gene at that point, like you basically were in every day anyway. So I think he was like, should I just pay this kid to work here? 
And, uh, and yeah, he started and I think we had alternating days. I think he knew smart enough to never put us on the same day because we would just really not ever work. So right. I think we alternated. You um, and I, you mean? I think I, yeah. yeah. I think like I worked like I worked the double Saturday shift and maybe a, a Monday and a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And maybe what did you work? Tuesday, Friday and. Yeah. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't, something like that. Sunday. I don't really know. And it was annoying because we couldn't hang out. <laughs> yeah. It went from like the greatest thing ever. Like we both got, we both got a job at Volt and we're going to hang out and basically it ended up, we would just go there on our days off to hang out. Right. Per- so it didn't really matter because we were going to be there anyway, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was basically exactly like pretty in pink or high fidelity. It's just like, you're there. You just start showing up every day. Right. Yeah. It's like, I just, I pay, these guys started showing up and they show up every day now, right. like whether I pay them or not. And what was funny is that I really, I don't think deserved quote unquote to be that, to have a job there. And according to our mutual older friend, Dennis, I really didn't deserve to, have, <laughs> to, to deserve to have that job. But I remember meeting him and we were talking and I had never met him before. I think you had met him, but I don't know how, you know, the topic of music comes up and he's like, what music do you, music do you like? And I was telling him that I really liked that new Bane album and he couldn't like his eyes like opened up. He's like, I can't, he's like, what? You like the new Bane album? You like Bane? Like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, they're good. And I like the new strike anywhere album. Um, and he just like was flipping out, like couldn't believe that like, you know, someone random that he had mm-hmm. just met was into something. And he's like, how do you know all that stuff? And I was like, well, I've got promos and at the record store I work at, it's a Volt. He's like, you work at Volt? <laughs> you know, it's just like, just like incredulous. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there's a, there's a part of me, this goes back to like, I think anyone who's like young and insecure is like, yeah, I probably don't know enough about music to deserve that job. Like this job should go to someone who knows more about music and bands and music history and like, you know, 77 and the birth of punk <laughs> or whatever and all that kind of stuff. And, and actually what it did is like, it really like forced me to, I viewed it as like an education at times where I was like, no, I'm going to listen to stuff, even if I hate it. And I'm mm-hmm. going to dig through all these UCDs and put them on mm-hmm. if nothing else, but then to say, I've heard them, you know? Yeah. Because I felt like I had to do it as like a right or mm-hmm. because I got the job and now I have to backfill you know, my music education. How did you feel about that? No, absolutely. I, I, you know, I think, um, for me, and and I think I still have the same problem now, um, professionally as a computer programmer where you just kind of accept things the way they are and don't have like a real drive to understand why they are the way they are, uh, until, the situation necessitates it. Mm. So, um, because I feel like, I feel like for me, I just would much rather enjoy the moment rather than think too much about like what it all means or what led up to that moment that I'm enjoying (laughs) it. You know what I mean? And that's Mm. why Dennis probably was a history major and I was a communications major. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, I think that, yeah, like, but at one point you do, you, you realize that all of the things that you're listening to are, you're listening to them because somebody else made something before that, 
that influence them. And that's, that piques your curiosity. And so then you can go, you go down this rabbit hole back to the, like the clash or you go back down this rabbit hole to the jam or to like, like, mm. like, like Elvis Costello and like, just like the British pop and, and, you know, whatever, like, you know, German Prague or whatever, like whatever rabbit hole you're, <laughs> right. you're in at the, at the time. And, and I think I, I, I feel the same way. Like, I, I think I had an imposter syndrome immediately, like, um, right. without, but what if like, someone asked me something and I don't know the answer, yeah. the customer. <laughs> yeah. So, so then I think, uh, it was like around that time, like it was, it was just like maybe whenever I could pick up like a, a, um, big takeover magazine or just, you know, mm -hmm. and that was around that time I started like understanding how to use the internet more effectively and, um, reading about who is in for this, good. like, right. <laughs> um, for <laughs> not for evil. Um, yeah, and just like, I go to these bands websites and read like, you know, they have like, um, blog entries or if they have like a blog spot, which was a thing at the time. And there's another, yeah. like, or MySpace or whatever around that time. And, and, and like you, you'd see like they're, if they had a music page, like listed their influences and just kind of, um, like read all read up about that. But that's kind of stretching through that, that whole time. It doesn't, you know, it's not like I hit the ground running, <laughs> well, it's really daunting. Like, honestly, I, I mentioned the guy who, and I forget his name, and I apologize, as I should know, because I worked with him a bunch, but the guy who knew all this stuff about indie rap, and it's like, you know, I enjoyed some hip-hop, but it was like, I dismissed most of it, because I was like, well, it's not, it doesn't really speak to me, and mm -hmm. I don't know, like, the kids at school like it, so that means I have to hate it, or something like that, you know, whatever. I came up with and then like he's like well actually there's guys who probably have punk or hardcore roots or have indie roots and they just choose to express themselves musically in this way but it's still a diy ethic and it's still there's they're they're playing basement shows they're just doing it with an mc behind them and it's mm -hmm. just all this stuff where it's like oh my gosh like that's a lot of work because i need to figure out all about this stuff and all these labels and the, and then you realize you just go section by section from the storage, right? It's like the store. It's like, well, what do I know about jazz? Nothing. <laughs> what do I know I don't like about jazz? I don't like elevated music, but man, all this stuff from the twenties to mm -hmm. basically anything up to like a fusion era is like really, really good. How do I begin to like learn about that? And then like <laughs> the moment you feel like you realize there's like a revelation catalog, you're like, I actually have to now go back to <laughs> revelation one and, and listen to all these things right and then it's like that's not even counting like sub pop and merge and matador and like all of these things that you're like you just sit there and you meet these people when you're younger that can rattle off this stuff and you're like how do you know all that like do you not go to school like how do you know <laughs> yeah. all this stuff about music and then you end up just like immersing yourself in it yeah. and driving yeah, to and from work and it's just like it happens organically. It's really strange. It's like your, it's your second job, you know, it's, uh, and yeah, it becomes something that that's just like what you think about. And, and if, 
And, and, and really it's just, it's really because of those people that you, you know, that you're hanging around with. It's their, that's their world. And whenever you move into someone else's world, it becomes yours. Yeah. Um, there's, I think there is an element of fear of, it was like peer pressure in a mm-hmm. positive sense of making you not accept stuff at face value, dig mm-hmm. below the surface, find what's underneath. On the other hand, on the other hand, then, then you realize like, you know, five, eight years later, that it's, it's not as big a deal as you thought it was. <laughs> and you just like, yeah, you yeah. kind of have to pick your own, like you, you can't just like, you, you can't worry so much about, um, like if you don't like quote unquote, get some, like get this, like that it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you, you know, qualify as a pariah <laughs> necessarily. Yeah, no, totally. But like, <laughs> it takes a while to get there. I mean, I remember yeah. distinctly at the peak, I probably had, you know, I mean, just thousands of CDs. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would actually go into a record store. This is after I left Volt when I was here. I would actually go into a record store and I'd buy one CD or LP that I wanted. And then I'd buy one that I felt I had to buy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that makes sense. Like I, I bought one for me and then one for the shelf because I literally had this thought in my head where I need to buy this upsetters record or something. <laughs> Because if someone ever comes and gets to you because they were in alphabetical order, they would see it and they would know that I was cool. <laughs> right. And of course, that literally, I don't think ever happened in my life where anyone ever <laughs> went into my bedroom and made it from A to Z and was like, oh, that's a nice uh, selection there in the U, in the U, in the U right. portion of the... Uh, Right, because if anyone ever did, they would get to W and be like, "Oh, Weezer, I like that." Oh, Weezer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you you own Maladroit, non-ironically, okay. Um, but like, I, the, but the thought that I had that was at the time it was genuine. It was like I need to own this because I have to own it. I don't even really want it. I don't want to listen to it, but I need to own it because I. If you like music, you have to have it on your shelf or something like mm-hmm. that. And. That's the negative side of it. But at the same time, like I look back and I wouldn't change any of it. It, it forced upon me, I think, listening to certain things and expanding my horizons. But um, it's definitely can be daunting and exhausting, I guess, is another word for it. Right. And it never ends. Like now, like, yeah. um, you know, I just you you get, you, you start getting into your own life and like raising a family and providing for family. And, and then you, you realize that you've missed out on 10 years of like whatever, whatever thing, you know, like obscure band from the seventies has been on earth since the last time you cracked open, you know, whatever music blog. <laughs> and then yeah. also all the, yeah. all the other bands that have come out since then, it's a never ending you know, it's a never ending stream of new it's a and old. The wheel. Yeah, exactly. But I do, I do think like there is some, there is some point, I think if I had to put a date on it, um, you know, it'd probably be 10 years ago where I just stopped trying and, and then you become like some of the people that used to come into Volt where basically their musical taste was trapped in time. And they did that for, a reason because no new music can be created if you stop checking for no new music after a certain date. It's like, it gives you like this control where 
if I stop caring after 1999 or whatever, pick mm-hmm. a date, at least I can go back and there's not going to be any more that can be created. If I just put a, put a pin in it right there, I can do all the work I want. And I can say that everything from that point and before was the better music. And I don't ever have to be, you know, in the process of catching up with what's new. Cause I have, a, I basically put a pin in time and mm. I can only focus on what's behind. Mm. And you would see that with people that would come into vault and stuff, but mm. I feel like I'm, you know, there now, but not because I wanted to, but because life, you know, forces you to. Yeah. So, okay. So let's go back to vault. So, so we both get a job there. Gene's the manager. He's the owner. He started it. All credit goes to Gene. Like in that town, there was a really, really famous record store called trash American style, ah. which, is pretty well known throughout the country actually. And yeah. Malcolm Tent is still like on Facebook doing, you know, live video sessions and still playing music. And he was great. And talk about someone that forgot more music than you yeah, will ever know. know. Yeah. <clears throat> but he, he was super approachable and it was great. And there was Jerosa records, I think. Jerosa still there. Oh really? Still, still, still holding down the fort. It's uh they're in, uh, Brookfield, maybe? No. Yeah, like, let's say Brookfield, New Fairfield or something like yeah, that. Yeah, up there, yeah. Um, and uh, I don't think there was any anything else. Those are kind of the big three. It was like Volt, Trash, and Jerosa, I want to say, mm-hmm. in that little, you know, kind of tri-town area. And, you know, Trash had a lot more, I think, depth. Like, yeah. they were like a mile deep and an inch wide, I would say. <laughs> and we were like a mile wide and an inch deep when it came to like mm-hmm. our selection. But, um, we would, sometimes I would just leave Volt and go to trash and, and buy stuff there. I think you would do it. Yeah. More often Eventually once, like, once you like kind of had the courage to go into trash and like realize that it's yeah, not that like, was daunting the first time for sure. It was like <laughs> the same, it was like the same sort of feeling going to Volt for the first time, you know, like, cause like trash is very much, it was like, it had like, uh, it was like music store or the thrift store feel, right? Cause there was like clothes and there art. There was a mythology even then around it. Yeah. And, and, um, and of course there was just like this like deep rivalry between Gene and Malcolm. Um, <laughs> like just like littered with drama and like failed partnerships and just all yeah. kinds of, you know, uh, exaggerated you know, stories of intrigue and, uh, commercial espionage, you know, uh, espionage yeah. situations. <laughs> yeah. Well, like it, it was the type of thing where it's a small town there's like a hundred thousand people in Danbury and you have these two independent record stores, probably the town doesn't, didn't deserve both. And, and yet they were both there and one death trash had a a cult following and still does mm-hmm. and had a manager who lived and breathed music to a degree. Like we said, like very few do Gene loved music, but there was also an element of like, this is also a business. Right. And in Malcolm, I, you know, if he lost money every day, he would somehow still find a way to keep the, mm-hmm. the doors open. But, but Gene had a business to run and had to make money. And so I think he would, approach things a little bit differently. Um, so let's talk about, you know, the experience behind the counter real quick, you know, how how did you, how did you navigate going from intimidated at Volt 
to then feeling like you had an air of superiority to those that walked in and then how did that bubble burst? <laughs> so, um, I remember the first time I think I actually connected with somebody at Volt before I worked there is in the negative. And I remember like I was, I think I went to Salvation Army and I found like, like I kind of, it was a pretty cool, like there's a picture of me on the Closet Turkey website wearing this t-shirt i think just like a green white and brown striped like mm, uh yeah. shirt i remember it yeah it's a good shirt <laughs> and um and then i had like my like curly baseball cap um and i was feeling pretty good about myself <laughs> like, <laughs> big tom DeLong guy. <laughs> that's right yeah big tom DeLong <laughs> fan big blink two <laughs> fan so i go in there and I don't know, I don't remember what I was buying, but, um, I don't remember if you, if like, so when Weezer was making their like comeback with the green album, there were one of their mm-hmm. t-shirts that they issued was like the sort of like female superhero cartoon. Yep. You know, I love that poster. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, awesome poster slash t-shirt slash art or whatever. And I was like, Hey, that's a nice shirt. And he was, and he was just like, uh-huh. And I, and I realized at that time like, that I was it, like, I felt in the moment just from uh-huh. that, just like that, you know, like I can't be bothered <laughs> kind of, but also just like you're one, like you're one guy out of a thousand that has said that to me today. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, it, you know, like the way it made me feel, I don't really put too much stock into it, but I think there was probably a point at that moment where I stopped sort of like trying too hard. And you, you always like, you know, throughout all of your twenties, you will always try kind of socially to impress people with what you're wearing or whatever. But I think, I think that, that there was just like a moment where it was like, I need to like reconsider like what I like, you know, maybe I don't need to put the baseball cap on backwards. Or maybe I don't need one at all. Like I'm just overthinking all this. It's just I remember I remember kind of like processing that. And then when you got the job there and I worked there, I think it was kind of I think I had already kind of uh sort of assembled this sort of like discretion about me where I didn't try where I didn't reveal what I was trying so hard. You know what I mean? Like But you were. But you were. I mean right. We all were kind yeah. of but yeah. Um, and, um, I, I think, I think I, I remember this one, like there were a few times cause when you work at a, at like an independent, uh, mom and pop store of any kind, there's always somebody who's going to come in expecting like the Kmart treatment mm-hmm. or yeah, like the like big box store treatment where they're like this flyer that you sent out, like this, this flyer arrived late and had a coupon that expired yesterday. Oh, right. we're like, so what? Like, yeah. Like, or the guy who came in one time, like wanting, really wanting to special, cause we would do special orders. Right. And you could pay for yeah. your thing in advance and get a, uh, a voucher printed out on dot matrix, uh, <laughs> That. And we'd have to call them. Hey, yeah. uh, Jim, your yeah. Pink Floyd box set arrived. Um, it's here at the counter whenever you're ready. And, and he, exactly. And he really wanted the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 soundtrack. And this is like... 
<laughs> I love this guy. This is like, were you there? I don't know. I remember if you were there, but it was like 2000, 2003, maybe. Um, no one makes it anymore. And um, <laughs> you can get it. I mean, you can get it now. <laughs> but um, I remember looking it up. I was like, okay, I'll look it up. And so I type it into the computer. And by the way, like this ancient computer system was already yeah. ancient then. Um, you're talking green letters, black background, you know, 12 by 12 screen. Um, I was like, yeah, I like, I see it in the listing, but the thing about this particular distributor is that it's just, it's not likely that we're going to get it. So, because if you, if you, um, put through a special order, like they would put down a deposit towards it, but they wouldn't when they picked up, they wouldn't pay for the whole thing until they put, they paid for the rest of the CD. So yeah, Gene was like, he wasn't going to mess around. He needs that $5 yeah. deposit to put it. He to really did the though. CD order. He really did. These are really good <laughs> margins. <laughs> I know. And I know your word is, is good, sir, but I'm going to need that $5. I'm going to need that. Um, so I, and I said, like, I just, I don't think that we're going to be able to get it. And he looked at me and he said, you, cause, cause he looked around kind of thinking like he knows like what my motives are that I'm just like, Oh, Ninja Trills to soundtrack, uh, faux pas. Like how dare you even come in here suggesting such trash? But really I was just like really legitimately saying like, I, mean, I literally can't get that. So he looks at me and says, you wouldn't be lying to me, would you? <laughs> like in that same tone. And I remember at the time, I think it was Brian. Uh, yeah. Brian. Crust Punk Brian. Crust Punk Brian, yeah. Uh, ska, super into ska. Yeah, he loved, punk. Uh, he's a big hot water music guy. And he, even with a gravelly voice, he loved. That's true, yeah. Uh, I remember him he getting angry, the me, poor like, guy. Yeah, yeah, against me, that's right. Um, and, uh, I, I just like, <laughs> I just, that was kind of the experience almost every day. Something like that would happen. Um, yeah, it was, it's really, it, it's just, well, he thought you were being an elitist, but you, you actually weren't. Right. <laughs> right. So I think, I think the flip of, flip side of that is like, even though I, I knew like, like I did feel like an air of superiority, sadly about other people that, um, I was often more judged for being that way just because of where I worked, which is right. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah def- I mean, from our, our group of friends, which I thought was a pretty cool group of friends, they had diverse personalities. They were pretty funny. I think they all were like, what? just surprised. I think cause we weren't, we were, relatively mild-mannered back then and it's just like oh i can't believe you guys got a job there and so we're like huh all right yeah i guess we're i guess we're in now whatever that in means but i do remember when i would work there i mean i took such great offense like this this is the time when like every band matters and every band saved your life that you you're listening to quote unquote and i'm putting that like you know oh it's this band saved my life or whatever and so when someone doesn't like it you just are like, I can't believe this. Like, what kind of taste do you have? And I remember specifically, I think you were, you might have been working there that day. It's like two guys and a girl come in and they're, you know, you know, it's not our cup of tea. 
And so they're looking in, they're like, Hey, would you guys have dispatch? It's <laughs> just like, you know, it's like, it, it's like someone who thinks that Dave Matthews band is like a little too hip. And so they're looking for dispatch. Sure. It's like the guys, you know, hacky sack in the parking lot and um, that kind of thing. Uh, it's what is what it is, but it's like, we weren't into it. I wasn't into it at the time. And actually remember I had, um, the first some girls single, which is called the rains on. Mm-hmm. They had burned it on their CD and was playing it. You, and usually Gene was like, if we can't sell it, you can't play it. But when he wasn't there, you know, we, I would, we would play what we want. Right. And it's pretty loud and short and upgrading. And they started laughing at it. Like they're like, what is this? Like I was there that you day. Know, they're, looking for, this. they're looking for <laughs> dispatch. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I, I like, I got so up. I, I don't know if I've ever been this mad about anything before in my life. And since actually, but like in their general direction, when they were laughing, I just spit it. <laughs> no, you took a gulp of water from a water bottle. <laughs> you yeah, just spit water. in their direction. <laughs> and I was just so disgusted. It's like, how can you, buying this, make fun of the band that I love, you know, or something like that. And I don't even know if they saw me do it or whatever, but they ended up leaving shortly after. I just, the visceral reaction that I had mm-hmm. towards it was pretty like, it might have like caused me to like never want to do that again, but I was just so mad. It was just like someone like slapped a member of my family or something. Right. You take things so personal and things mean so much to you back then. Yeah. Um, that that y- you do you do go overboard. Um, man, I, I love the, the store itself doesn't exist anymore. It, it's gone. It's a cold stone creamery. <laughs> I wonder if that's even still around. I mean, when's the last time you even drove past it, you think? Uh, I spent three years or so now. I only live about okay. an hour from there now. But yeah. I live a little bit further. Is that 30, um, 30 hours? <laughs> 30 hours. 24 hour drive. Yeah. Um, but what are some other funny stories? A couple funny stories I have that I remember. Um, we would, when another buddy of ours, John, who worked there, Pro V, we would put on music and stage dive off the counter. Mm-hmm. We would take turns doing that. Um, I remember Jamie from Hatebreed would come when he, before they were really popular, and he would have a distro for his label called Stillborn Records, and he'd mm-hmm. come by every six months and say, can you stock this band and that band? And he was someone cool to talk to. And you would see all these cool people like, and that's what, that's what really I think was the the lasting impression at the same time we were finding underground music Mm -hmm. and DIY music and subculture music and going to shows the same people that you would, you could buy a CD from would then come into the record store and just talk to you. Yeah. And it could have been like Pat from fast break or I'm a rich from, from like the dedication or, um, Josh from AN and then Head Automatica and stuff. And then Jamie, um, it was just awesome. And it's just like, I can't believe that the people I was listening to in the car are this nice and cordial and normal people. Mm -hmm. And that's what ingrained in me is like, I'm like a part of something working here as small as it is. And I was super proud of that in a weird way too. Absolutely. And it's kind of your window into like, um, well, I guess like there's like the, the wider commercial industry because Volt was very much like under the thumb of like the big like distributors 
and big PR agencies for trying to sell like the latest JZU, whatever. Um, and, uh, or like, you know, whatever big, you know, uh, flavor of the month on Geffen or just like, just giant, they like, just like these, these really big acts too. Mm-hmm. Um, who are all like, you know, varying degrees of like quality or not quality, whatever, you know, whatever, you know, it's like a one hit wonder or just like a, like a stalwart of the industry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then these smaller labels that, that just like they are more human and, um, they're people who are doing something they're passionate about. And that was probably my first window into that side of like a, a business. It, 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 it became more, more than just like a hobby at that point. Then it's, then it becomes like a profession. Like maybe I could get into that business, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'll go back to that, but like the reality of that business model at Volt was, and this is funny, like, you know, the way that CDs were back then is, was they get released, they got used to be released on Tuesday. I guess now they're released on Fridays, but Tuesday, but the shipment would come in sometimes on Friday and the, the record store wasn't supposed to put them out on the shelves until Tuesday. That way the rollout was the same everywhere. Well, Gene was smart in that yeah. he would sell them early. And so everyone in town knew, and it was mostly hip hop releases. I mean, sometimes it was, if there was a Slipknot album or some like, you know, big hard rock album, same thing, but insane clown it was posse. never, yeah, ICP. Um, if it was never really, uh, you just had to know that Volt, Volt would um, maybe have the record early and people would call in on Friday. So let's say the new Jay-Z album came out. They'd call in on Friday and say, hey, do you guys have a new Jay-Z album? And the code was, you can come down and check it out. Mm -hmm. And that was the code to let them know that it was here. Because if you said it was there and it was a label rep, you get busted. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you lose a lot of, you know, end displays and, you know, promos that they would do and the store would get money from. So they'd come in and they'd say, do you have the new new Jay-Z? You'd have to open it. Yep. At the counter, at, yep. take off the bar, <laughs> take off the whole stuff. There was a generic skew. Generic skew. And then you would sell it at $18.99. Or, or Gene, would, Gene would, I mean, obviously he's smart. It's like the demand was there. So he would jack up the price those over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you would even have a CD like $20, $19.99. I remember that when 50 Cent had that first new album, it was like $19.99 we were selling it for. And, and then on Tuesday, Gene would go... X out the generic SKUs and input by hand all as if he sold them all that day on Tuesday, the release day. And so the point of that story was all the Jay-Z albums we sold early and that kind of stuff allowed us to have these other, all the other things that we had there. It's kind of like an actor who does a Hollywood blockbuster so he can make five art films afterwards. Like I'm going to get paid here, Hmm. but it allows me to do all this other stuff. And so that's, where the business model was different than trash where Gene's like, I need to do this to keep the lights on, but I'm also going to try to, you know, propagate, you know, subculture and different genres, even though that's not where the money is. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) And so, so we'll probably probably wrap it up here soon, but to get to the actual record label part, right? So me and you were both working there and Emily was working there. Emily is awesome. Um, she's still, I think in the Northeast area, great taste in music, 
taught, I learned, I learned a lot about bands from her and stuff. And she used to have a boyfriend um, that would come in named Scott and Scott would just come in and hang out. And like a lot of us had nothing to do, nowhere to go. He was a goofball. He was super funny. We would actually put on movies sometimes and just watch them on the floor, just sit there on the floor and watch a movie. And then if someone wanted to buy something, we'd get up, you know, ring them up and then go back to the floor and watch, watch a movie. And, and one day after I had left to move to Austin, he walks in to Volt, right? Or something like that. And says like, oh, I have a solo project I'm doing. Like, here's a song or something. Just yeah. get us to that point with how that first happened. Right. And that'll be episode two, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like, I, I don't remember exactly how it happened. But after you moved to Austin, um, I stayed at Volt for maybe like a year and a half, two years until it closed down. And... Um, uh, my family had moved from Danbury to the next one of, one of the other next towns over Bethel, Connecticut, and um, I was working on a project. It was like just like an electronic music project that never really went anywhere. Um, Leather tie now. Leather tie. <laughs> that's, that's the one. Thanks for mentioning it. <laughs> it's got a cult following. It's, it's on SoundCloud if you want to hear it. Um, <laughs> it uh, I saw him in the local coffee shop. I think it uh, was molten, molten Java. Molten Java was it? Was the place? It was a you know a local mom pop coffee shop where anybody who didn't have anything better to do <laughs> could be found. <laughs> it couldn't be troubled right. to go to Starbucks Bet- and Danbury right. and- between the hours of eleven a.m. and three p.m. <laughs> Um, so I was there on my old compact, compact with a Q laptop on Fruity Loops making tracks. And so Scott walks in and I think creating gem after gem. Yeah. I think I, I can't remember if I had heard some of his stuff at that time. I think I, I maybe, maybe I saw him play at, um, a place called uh bar in uh new haven maybe it was that the, the establishment was a bar um <laughs> okay yeah paint the picture uh they also served excellent pizza um so he played there one night and and i think like um you know scott has this just like the, this ability to channel like uh like the softer big star songs slash Elliot Smith and just like the zombies and just sort of Baroque pop and folk music um, in this way that some people like they might say, you know, they might say it's derivative, but to us, I think it like really, he, he has his own unique style and um, mm-hmm. ability to write pop songs that, few people have just yeah the best the best type where it can get lodged in your brain mm-hmm. with really depressive lyrics <laughs> where it's it's just it's it's love lauren lyrics and yet it's got a finger picking part or a chorus or a melody mm-hmm. it's like the best the best of the beatles songs where it's yeah. like depending on your mood i can either be uplifted or you know wallow and, and really good e- the song can do either or it's great yeah 
Um, so I, th- and I think at one point I talked to him and said, uh, I, I think at that point I had talked to another guy who worked at Volt, maybe right after your time, Rob May. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, it, him and Britt started right yep. after me, I think. Yep. Him and Britt, um, they, um, it was Rob's idea for the name Closet Trekkie Records. And, um, well, he and I were both sort of these just like, uh, hopeless nerdy guys who really like science fiction, but also sort of came into this like sort of very <laughs> different, um, music scene with a bunch of people who really liked, you know, like, uh, like just, you know, very, 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 like a lot of posturing and, mm-hmm. um, like, being fashionable and cool and and that's really different for, for where like my personal background like being the son of a computer nerd and uh it's, mm-hmm. um so we both had this sort of idea like that we were we were both a little bit you know nerdy and geeky before that was cool and and so our so he, his idea was that if he ever started a label, he would call it Closet Trekkie. So he and I were like the first partners in that. Um, and so did, did the label idea start at, with Scott or at before you? It was before that. an artist. It was before yeah. that, and um, around the same time, we did like a CDR for uh, Screamo Band from the east side of New York state around the area of Pauling or, um, Patterson area called Henry Spencer. What was his name? Yeah. What, what was the blonde kid's name? I don't remember his name. So sad. He was a nice kid, but he used to come in a bowl all the time. Yeah. Good kid. Cool guy. Yeah. Uh, but he, but Mark, it was Mark. Mark was the one you were talking about. Mark Rip, okay. Rip alone. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, super nice, super, super good guys. Um, so we like put out their CDR, um, and like I went to a bunch of their shows and like manned their merch table and stuff like that a couple of times, maybe only once. I don't remember, <laughs> but, um, so we had that on there and then we had, uh, um, and then I, I really wanted to get into vinyl records and have those press. So our first seven inch, um, that I talked, I, I was talking to Scott at Bolton job. I said, Hey, can I put out like, would it be cool if we put out one of your, like, just like a seven inch AB. Um, and he said, yeah, I have a couple of new songs, um, that I've recorded. And that was, uh, Alice and what was the B side? Loser in love. Loser in love. That's right. Um, so I got like a bunch of construction paper and printed them on my inkjet at home and got some seven inch plastic sleeves, ordered a, a like a run of, did we make 50 or a hundred or something? Uh, seven yeah, inches. I mean, that's when you basically call, this is basically, I think winter of 05. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember in January of 06, I was actually visiting back again in your room in Bethel and we were stamping stuff. Oh, okay. Right. It was like January of 06 yeah. that we, and then we were like, you want to help me stamp some of these. And, but before that you had mentioned, you're like, I'm going to do this thing. And I was like, can I be a part of it? <laughs> Whatever that looks like. And, um, I thought we did like a hundred. Yeah. 
because the price break basically it, it was, was almost the same amount of money. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And um, you got the uh, awesome two two stamps, one with the iconic logo, mm-hmm. which you designed, I guess. Yes, the the ray gun logo with uh, uh, what's the name of the font? Cooper Black, I think. CTR. Yeah. And then the other side was an arms and legs mm-hmm. um, stamp. Also and a premium font, just handwriting ish font. Yeah, looks like looks like the Joker. Looks like Joker font actually yeah, from yeah. Microsoft Word. Yes, yeah, like that. And who did the uh, kid walking? Do you remember? Was that Jay or no, was that, that Scott just gave that to you? Scott uh, took a picture of of a silhouette like that in a New York City subway mural on his mm. flip phone. Texted it to me. <laughs> um, and I think I pulled that into Illustrator and I traced it and I put it on there. And that was it looks a, good. That was there, I actually have a t-shirt of that. There's a t-shirt Does, of that? I still have a t-shirt. Yeah, it's a great t-shirt. Just says arms and legs with that font and then the picture of the kid walking. Um, I don't know how I got it, but Scott sent it to me like a long time ago. Wow. Cool. Um, but yeah, I remember, so I remember you saying, I'm doing this thing. Do you want to be a part of it? I'm like, yeah, I'll do whatever. Even if it's just giving you money to offset some of the costs, I just want to like be a part of this. It just felt like for the first time, like you had found something where we could actually not just be at the cash register, but putting something out into the world. Um, where it wouldn't have existed before. And it was like super exciting to think about it. And then I actually heard the songs and I was just blown away. I mean, I'm still blown away by those songs and anyone I've ever played them to, no matter their taste, identify like Scott is like, this guy's got like whatever talent is, like he has it, it's awesome. And those are super simple songs and, you know, bedroom recordings. And yet when it's, when the talent's there, it's just like, it's there. Like yeah. you can tell, it doesn't matter. And um, yeah, I was just, I remember it's being so, so proud of that when you, the construction paper, I think we had green and then some of them were red construction paper covers. I think I have both mm-hmm. and a test press. I still have that. And just having them, I think I took probably 10 back with me to Texas and handed them out to people and I was like, this is a new thing. I was just like so proud of it. This is a thing me and my friend are trying to do. And um, at that point, basically Rob just dropped out, right? I mean, I don't remember, I, n- I never even talked to Rob. So it was, it was yeah, like- I don't, I don't remember. A, I don't think we ever talked about anybody dropping out, but I think we just got busy, you know, and we, I think he and I like went in half seas on like a microphone because we kind of wanted to get into recording too. Um, but nothing ever really, yeah. Yeah, we never, and we, I think we parted on amicable terms. The last time I saw him, I think was in Williamsburg, randomly on a street corner outside of oh, Omega. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Good guy. It's really super cool. Spent a lot of time. He always seemed nice. Bulbasaur. And he had, there was that, that bear trap uh, EP was good that he put out. I remember I heard that. Yeah, he had a, uh, was that uh tractor flip? The rock and roll one? Tractor yeah, flip. Yeah, tractor yeah. flip or something like that, yeah. They were awesome. They were such a good band. Yeah, he was super talented too. Yeah, when I was, um, yeah, I was in a, a band called Longshanks with some friends of mine and, and we did a show together at a bar in Bushwick called Goodbye Blue Monday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were. I remember the video of that. <laughs> well, like, so that's the first, That's that was CTR1 officially, that mm-hmm. Alice and Loser in Love 7-inch. And then, you know, maybe, maybe the next couple episodes we'll talk about just the rigmarole of turning that into a more going concern and how basically it's just an excuse to throw money down the drain, but somehow it's still fulfilling, but also exhausting. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe we can get, I'd love to get Scott on. Maybe he can talk about those days and see what he's up to um, and go through the roster and uh, who knows what else. Yeah, no, this has been good. It's uh, down now it's, uh, it's in the history books, right? It's out there. We've released it into the eternal stream. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. All right. All right.